Hello and welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. We're joined today by Ellie. Hello Ellie. Hi. So those of you who listened to episode 56 will remember we were joined by Fiona and Dave from the British Dragonfire Society and we've now got Ellie. Welcome to the show Ellie. Thank you. Exciting. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. I'm the Conservation Officer for the British Dragonfly Society. So I help manage the recording scheme and help uh, with partnership projects looking to conserve uh, priority species of dragonfly. So our kind of threatened and declining species. We spoke to Fiona and Dave about the state of dragonflies report, but we couldn't talk much about it because it hadn't come out. But we're going to talk about that later. But of course... As we always do, we have to start with our latest sightings. Ellie, have you had any interesting recent sightings? Not many for dragonflies, unfortunately. The weather's taken a turn for the worst. Although I was in the Isle of Man over the weekend's first kind of holiday, um, and I know that the the, Isle of, uh, the wildlife trust there has um, developed um, a new wetland system there. Unfortunately, the weather was pretty bad. But I think it's called the Onken Wetlands, and so I'm looking forward to kind of going back there, kind of maybe next summer and seeing things. Um, but it was nice being by the seaside for the first time in since the beginning of lockdown and seeing kind of gannets diving and, and all that jazz. Um, in terms of dragonfly sightings, I think my kind of what, what ex- interesting things have I seen recently? Oh, this summer we went to the, the New Forest and saw some fantastic kind of uh, wetland habitat there with southern damselflies and, and golden ringed and killed skimmer. And it visited one of really the, the best sites for dragonflies I've ever seen. Um, so that's probably been my in terms of highlights of the year that was probably it how about you i've had some oh, i haven't done that much was that going back to new forest was that was for with yeah was that with fiona yeah it was for yeah. the um our expiry hotspot partnership launch um expiry yeah, gardens if yeah. my memory is correct i think she mentioned that when she came on here so that's quite good. yeah yeah she was quite <laughs> chuffed with what she saw there yeah you, you had a bit of fun finding it like um because the car park's shut isn't it at crockford oh, stream it's always God, yeah I, it was a very very hot day uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's not much weekend. shade on that site. No, no, a lot of horseflies as well. Um, but it was worth it. <laughs> worth the, the sweat and tears. <laughs> My sightings wise, uh, I, I stayed in last weekend for last because I was going to go away for a tw- 48 hour trip up to the Lake District. Um, and for those listening, this was, that was the weekend or the Friday that the petrol buying went mad so i had to cancel unfortunately but i've been playing with a new toy of mine i've for those photographers out there i may have got hold of one of those i think it's lyo i think it's 24 mil probe lenses and the end of it is waterproof and i stuck it in my pond and was filming aquatic caterpillars feeding on algae and froglets in my pond and i found a snail and as i was panning across oh that looks like a green root it's almost like a it's a green hydra so i've actually filmed a green hydra in situ which i'm not sure many people have done and i'm pretty sure not many people have done the aquatic caterpillars either so oh, amazing. keep an eye out for that yeah the green hydra it's a bit shaky it's a long lens and i'm just getting used to it all but uh <laughs> it does yeah. kind of look like you're about to snipe the wildlife rather than yes. a photographer <laughs> photograph yes. it. i showed ellie uh, over <laughs> for those that don't know the lens is about god what is it it's about Oh, it's getting on for two foot long, <laughs> but it's only about two foot, I should say, 40, I think it's 40 centimetres, 30, 40 centimetres, but it's not like one of those massive prime lenses, although it is a prime lens, it's only about two centimetres across at the end, that's less than an inch for imperial people out there, and it's got lights around the outside, and oh, 
It's a really cool thing. It's, it's a very specialised lens. If you've ever seen the Attabra programs where they sort of follow the the ants along with that sort of bug eye view, it, it's one of those sorts of lenses, but not not obviously not as expensive as <laughs> the ones they use on Attenborough. But yeah, really cool little toy. So. So fancy. Yeah. So, Ellie, the state of dragonflies report. What no. were the findings? I've been I was itching to find out when <laughs> Dave was talking about. It. I, said, I want to know. I want to know. It's been many years in the work. I mean, God bless Pam, Dave, and Adrian, the main editors, for kind of working on this. All all volunteers, all doing it off their own backs. Um, but yeah, finally uh, published, and yeah, with some quite interesting uh, findings. This report looks at data over a 50-year period starting at 1970 and looks at over, I think it was 1.4 million records, uh, mostly collected by members of the public. And it mostly looks at basically, it's basically changes in distribution. So it looks at changes in kind of site occupancy, uh, where the number of sites of dragonfly has been found from year to year, and kind of variation in kind of the number of sites it's been found at. In terms of the main findings, found out that 19 of our 46 resident or kind of regular migrant species have significantly increased um, since 1970, um, but then five have uh, significantly uh, declined. So and there were kind of some key species which we found particularly interesting, kind of looking at the kind of the results. Um, in particular, in terms of the, the increasing species, there was the emperor dragonfly, which quite a few of you have probably seen, big blue and green species, very territorial, often seen fighting over um, large ponds. And that species, I think it was mostly uh, limited to kind of England and kind of South Wales in kind of the 90s. But since then, I mean, now you can find up in Scotland. And so it's done a, a massive, had a massive increase in distribution. I mean, it's quite a big, powerful dragonfly. So it's, it's capable of, of flying quite uh, significant distances if it wants to. And we think this is, is possibly in relation to climate change. And we think climate change is probably um, a main driver in many of the kind of changes we're seeing in our species. Um, obviously, with with dragonflies being quite a, a tropical group of insects, they, they most species do better in kind of warm conditions, increases their kind of breeding productivity. And so we're seeing as conditions warm further north, species are kind of moving further north and colonising new sites. But then, on the other hand, we've, as I've said, we've seen a, a decline in species as well, in some species, including, quite surprisingly, the emerald damselfly, which is kind of out and about at this time of year. It's still quite a kind of a common species across Britain, but it has actually been kind of declining quite significantly and this was quite a, a, a surprise to us really and we hadn't really picked up on this just from viewing kind of dragonflies and damselflies in the field and these are kind of one of the questions we're actually wanting to kind of explore kind of why why is this species declining and um, with the other species we have kind of clues and ideas as to why it might be declining for example with the with the emerald damselfly, it's a species which is known to kind of inhabit quite shallow wetlands that often kind of dry out in kind of late summertime. And obviously with climate change increasing kind of drought frequency and droughts are becoming more frequent. And emerald damselfly is able to cope with kind of late droughts because um, it has a one-year life cycle. So eggs are laid, nymphs hatch, and then they, they then emerge in summer before kind of the, the wetland dries out. Um, and then the adults will egg lay um, in kind of emergent vegetation around the pool edge 
and then the eggs will hatch next spring once uh, the wetland has wetted up again. If the wetland dries out before the nymphs have uh, had a chance to emerge, then obviously the, the population is going to be lost. So that's kind of a one thinking kind of behind the species decline. So this is kind of a report that's kind of found a lot of kind of interesting trends. It's outlined a lot of important changes with different species, but it's also opened a lot of questions. Now we know where species are, now we need to kind of get kind of why they're there and kind of why these changes are happening. Sorry, I just kind of waffled for a bit there, didn't I? <laughs> No, no, that's spot on. That's what you're here for, is to tell us this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting with the emerald, the common emerald, as we have to call it here in Essex, because there's three other species. You're so spoiled for emeralds. (laughs) Oh, we really are. We really are. I haven't managed to get all four in one day. A few other people, the Canvey Ditch site, Mm. have all four in a day. Flipping egg. Literally (laughs) an hour or two of each other. I've quite pulled it off myself. I have seen four species on two different sites now. Brilliant. I mean, I've seen Southern Emerald on, was it this year? Or last year, I saw it on three or four different sites, which is just mad. I need to take me a trip down to uh, Essex. <laughs> it's yeah, just not you fair. need to. I was saying to Fiona, you're going to have to have a field trip down there, both of you, and I'll, I'll show you around and get you Southern Migrant as well. And yeah. maybe even Lesser Emperor, they seem to be... Uh, Ooh. They're yeah. seen every year in South Essex now in the same sort of area. So that's a, that's a set of lakes. So yeah, that was another finding of kind of the the report we've had. Well, it kind of outlines we've had kind of six new species colonised since I think it was like 1995, 1996. Lesser Emperor being kind of one of those, along with your southern migrant hawker, your special <laughs> speciality. <laughs> Although Southern Emeralds, that should be my favourite, really, because I found the... Not that I don't bring it up all the time, but I found the first one in Essex. I'd literally only learned to identify Emeralds the year before, so that was a quite funny thing. I was disappointed to start with because I thought, oh, it's not a Willow Emerald. Then then turned the page and went, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> You're even, even better. better. Oh, they're still a bit disappointed it wasn't a Willow Emerald. <laughs> it's a silly thing. <laughs> yeah, that's one that's massively increased its distribution. Well, from nothing, isn't it, to... Totally, yeah. The speed that it spread, and I mean, we've been able to kind of track it quite a bit of detail thanks to kind of Adrian Parr and his Willard Emerald Watch kind of citizen science project. Yeah. Thanks to all the people who've been kind of keeping an eye out for it. Now found as, as far north as North Yorkshire. I think that's kind of as far yeah, north it's... as it is at the moment, Cheshire. I can't remember what it's called now. I think someone said they had them near Scarborough, I think it was, or something like that. It's definitely up there, put it that way. I joked they might get as far as Yorkshire to my friend who lives in Yorkshire if he waits long enough, and they got there last year. Well, I wouldn't expect that. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting till they get to the new forest and go whoopee and just take over the whole place. <laughs> but, uh, with the common emerald. One thing I did wonder, there's two, if not three other species that might be better adapted to a lot of the habitat in Essex. So oh. I wonder if that's why they're not as common as... This is South Essex. I imagine if you go further inland, it probably changes a bit. Quite interesting. I mostly see them on acid bogs and stuff, and like fairly common in places like that. Ready bronze. I think they look yeah. even better when they're that colour. <laughs> Love it, especially when you got the when so they got that blue there. against it. Oh. Oh, black darter is another interesting one as well. That's another species which finds particularly in England as heathland species, bog pool species, common hawker as well, and other kind of bogland heathland species. So that's an area we're going to have to research more in the future kind of do more of a, a focus on peatland restoration i think and looking into peatland species kind of habitat preferences i wonder if it's another victim of peatland being drained and dare i bring it up but intensification of grouse moors which tends to oh i could never possibly yes comment on. <laughs> <laughs> i ain't touching no, that with a no, temple i'm not ball. gonna drag the media <laughs> into that one people can probably not guess what i'm thinking very loudly yeah. 
places that have been draining bogs are not going to help common hawker and places things like that no but and then uh, climate change again the kind of increasing drought frequency and then if we're seeing kind of a reduced kind of intensity and in management of sites with kind of like cattle grazing and allowing scrub to encroach in kind of trees to kind of encroach on kind of open sites with kind of water could be a, another cause of this species decline so there's lots of questions lots yeah. of questions <laughs> one that stood out to me is one that is extraordinarily common on the ditches that dry out in south essex and it's usually the commonest species of odonata is the ruddy darters mm. you can you literally yeah. the south essex marshes i survey some years if i've timed it right sort of june july time every step you get five or six newly emerged ruddy darters taking off they, they like the ditches that dry yeah. out which i wonder again is climate change again if you're getting more droughts it might mm. favor them over other species i guess that's a good point yeah <laughs> you got so you speculate and was it correlation yeah. doesn't always meet causation it's not causation you know, be a bit yeah. careful but yeah and then we kind of got to think about all inter-species relations with kind of species moving further north kind of what impact are they having yeah. uh, so what impact is kind of willow emeralds having on other species emeralds and are they kind of competing for the same yeah. niche i mean one of the thoughts was that common data and we're creating competition for black data with the, the kind of lava kind of intercompeting and yeah so that's a interesting uh, area of uh, investigation because there's a fear isn't it, the black data is black to absorb more heat because yeah. it's a more cooler climate species and of course if the warm <laughs> climate's getting warmer that advantage disappears in Not fact so it might great. be a disadvantage yeah yeah it might cook <laughs> oh bless <laughs> little crispy dragonfly yeah i did see a lot of pictures people put up from thursday when we had a very well when we had a hot summer that's basically every summer now of them doing the the obelisk position isn't oh, it yeah. where they point yeah. their abdomen towards the sun to get a minimum surface area which you would do if you were black on a 35 <laughs> degree centigrade day wouldn't you You've got the um, island variation of the, the common diet as well, haven't you? Of that course, says it's more yeah. black. So it'll be interesting to see. Don't know whether anybody's you'd have enough data to see if that's kind of sub phenotype as declines because yeah. it just gets recorded. It'll just be recorded as common data on oh, our system. Yeah. So that'd be that'd be interesting. Yeah, because at one point it was thought to be a separate species. Well, yeah. some people said it was a separate species. I think it's a better way of putting it. It's funny to talk about the coloration because three different people, including myself, have observed that the common blue damselfly. Mm. is definitely darker in Scotland than it is down in South Essex. Do you think? Yeah, they're, they're bright blue down, bright sort of sky blue down yeah. here, and they're still sort of that sky blue colour, but they're mm. just more sort of lightish blue rather than pale blue. <laughs> it's, it's not like they're they're like navy blue. But, yeah. But they are, they're definitely <laughs> darker, definitely darker. I think I noticed it, was it Roy Woodward? And I think it mm. might be Marion Taylor. Don't quote me on those two names, but I'm pretty sure they both come up. Oh, yeah, I spotted that. when You you know, you, you sort yeah, of bring yeah. it up and then everyone goes, oh, yeah, I wondered that. <laughs> and, and did someone else? Yeah. And we talked about the common data's doing it as well. So because it absorbs more heat. It makes yeah. more sense. And I'm sure there was another insect someone spotted that in as well. Whether it's the species was different or the... There's something that had more black coloration on it. Banded demoiselle wings, I think. There was mm. some recent... Oh, I can't even remember now. It'd be good to get some evidence of kind of the change, the differences between kind of common blue, but I, I don't know whether we get photographers involved and... The uh, problem with photography yeah. is, is who ha- have you exposed it and the yeah. light. But what I think <laughs> I you'd know. have to do... Uh, of course, the colour fades on specimens, but... Yeah, it doesn't work either. I have to grab some from Scotland and drive home quickly before they die and then compare them to oh, yeah. <laughs> some I've caught in Essex, maybe, but... I think there is ways of, I have to have a chat with Ashley Whiffin up in Edinburgh Museum, I think, and see what she's got specimen-wise and we can see what we can do. How would we write this? 
leave us to the, the photographers to work yeah. out. Yeah, you probably could still do it so that it's exposed correctly. I'd just be quite concerned if you overexpose it or whatever, that's going to completely skew the result. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have to have like the same kind of like, maybe like a light box or something. That's a good point. And have like the same exposure, put it in and then... Very true. Studio photography. There we go. See, we've come up with <laughs> ideas already from, from that data, just talking here. So I could have done with having this podcast at the beginning of the day before I had a strategy meeting, so yeah. I could just add these all in as a new there project ideas. Well, if you're listening, guys, and you want to do a PhD, get in touch yeah. with the BDS, and I'm sure we can point you towards someone, hopefully not me. <laughs> Mind you, I've got a few ideas from Essex Dragonflies, actually, if people could do. I can't think of any of them off the top of my head, but I'm walking around the field and I'm going, someone should research that. Yeah. Well, please send them our way. We do any research uh, students listening. We do have a grant which we can provide a small grant. If you have any projects, send them into the BDS. We might be able to pro- provide a bit of funding. Some people might be thinking, "Hey, I thought I heard that State of Dragonflies report." And the reason for that is it ended up going well, national news, didn't it? It really did well. And I believe yeah. you were on television, weren't you? Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> that was scary. Yeah. Got a phone call at like four o'clock the night before. <laughs> we weren't quite expecting it to get kind of the uh, the traction it did, uh, which it was very nice. It was just a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, BBC picked it up and ran with the story and then it got picked up by a load of other newspapers. And yeah, we had quite, um, I was on BBC Breakfast News and did the, the, the report launch and poor old Dave, Dave Smallshire, our, uh, one of the editors, he got stuck doing... I, c- I can't even remember the, the, the number of radio interviews he ended up doing, kind of from, I think it was from like seven in the morning till seven at night, just continuously. But I mean, it's great. It's great. And it, I'm, obviously it, it kind of resonated with people uh, um, more than we were kind of hoping for. I mean, it's quite an interesting story to get behind because the Emperor Dragonfly is such a kind of, was one of our kind of key species that kind of came out of the report. And it's such a kind of big jazzy insect that people go oh it's so pretty and it's a species that now when people see it kind of they're up in Scotland and they'll see an emperor dragonfly flying around they can go oh that species further north because of climate change um, and it's kind of something it's kind of a visible effect of climate change which people kind of kind of see kind of out in the world around them so yeah the kind of the, the role of dragonflies as kind of bioindicators of the impacts of climate change is quite valuable there's just such a, a fantastic group of insects and one that's quite uh, underappreciated I think anyway because I think they're fantastic yeah. No argument for me, obviously. Oh, oh, well, obviously we're a little bit biased. But it's also something that people can kind of drag on for conservation so that you can get quite involved in just kind of at home. It's such an easy species, a group of insects to provide kind of habitat for. Building a garden pond, as you know, pond expert. Building a pond in your garden can attract a massive diversity of species. And they've got such a fantastic, interesting life cycle. I think that kind of really appealed to people. And we were really thrilled with the response we got. It was really exciting. They're kind of in the consciousness a bit more now, dragonflies. People are, seem to be a bit more aware of them, a bit more appreciative of them. That where, Whereas it was always little birds and butterflies and big charismatic things, People, mm. dragonflies seem to be on the radar a bit more, do you know what I mean? It, and it's funny to talk about the pond. Are you aware of the ironic thing of my pond? No, <laughs> do you tell. Essex record for dragonflies. How many species of dragonfly do you think I've had around my pond? Uh, five? Zero. <laughs> Oh, no. In seven years, I've had, I think I went to five in my garden. My garden is, it's not like a postage stamp, but it's pretty tiny. Yeah. It's a new build garden. They've been around my garden, but I've never seen one by my pond. My wife's seen one, but we think it might have something that came in with a plant rather than actually. And I've, I've yeah. only ever seen one nymph in there, and I'm almost certain I put it in with a plant. So, that, But I've never... <laughs> 
people on the podcast have heard this story a few times, but a good friend of mine, Daniel Bridge, takes great pleasure in telling me every species that turns up to his pond. He dug one, was it last year, year before? And he got white-legged damselfly in his pond within sort of like no a week way. of building it or something. And, had to, and he, he's up to like 10 species in a year. They're not even like a big pond no. species. <laughs> he went, Is this a white-legged? And I was like, I haven't even seen not- a white-legged in two, three years. And, uh, they're not even supposed to be there. <laughs> no. I think they're a bit like the banded demoiselles where the the males like to wander a bit from the water. But yeah, oh, yeah. just to talk about taking the mickey. I mean, if he had a southern migrant <laughs> hawker, I'd have gone round and dug his pond up and nicked it. <laughs> not that you can really nick a hole in the ground, but never mind. There's there's, there's a story about a, a council meeting with that. But I'm intrigued. Basically, some officers high up in a council were talking about moving a pond as if it was like a car and it's kind of it's a hole in the ground you can't <laughs> pick it up and move. they couldn't get their head around the concept but yeah, that, that's a whole other topic I think but, oh, um, yeah. it was brilliant to see it get so much coverage obviously I've got a slightly mm. biased perspective but I was getting people talking to me about it family and stuff going oh there's something on the news about dragonflies oh yeah that's the state of dragonfly support yeah I think I think because of lockdown as well we, we've definitely had a lot more interaction with members of the public that we wouldn't usually kind of approaches and just because they've they've spent more time at home and in the garden in their kind of local areas and they've started to kind of notice these kind of their local insects and wildlife and I think that's probably tied into it as well they've been able to go oh yeah I saw, saw some of those kind of over the summer so hopefully it'll make that connection with people and they'll be able to kind of recognize kind of the role of recognize the role of wetlands as well and they kind of they're just the, the local area for kind of supporting habitat for these species yeah and their importance the facebook british dragonflies group is just grown ridiculously i think it's heading towards like eight thousand members or something. i've lost count now it's like definitely over seven thousand bit that way and it was i think it only had four or five at the start of the year four or five thousand it mm. went up quite a bit last year as well yeah i think Brilliant. i think that's that's quite a good way to grab people isn't it because it just pictures just pop up on their feed if they join the group and then they, you know someone puts up a really nice picture it can uh, hook them in and yeah uh, definitely if only dragonflies were easier to photograph yeah, yeah you gotta get <laughs> oh yeah i've got a bit of practice and a nice long lens oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and i tell you, i can think of worse things to try and photograph off the top of my head but yes yeah, so i can know what you mean a common dart can be quite good <laughs> something I, sh- I should have mentioned in my sightings i've had common data I was trying to photograph it and it landed on my it landed well, it landed on my head I think it was so I was standing <laughs> still but I had robber flies the last the last few weeks when I've been trying to photograph and doing exactly the same and trying out this brand yeah. new lens they kept landing on the blooming barrel because it's a nice long black <laughs> so oh this is the one place I can't photograph you on the lens you know and if you're on my head I could probably try and twist my camera out <laughs> I just thought that was quite fun but yeah yeah they're, they're, sometimes they're too cooperative dragonflies I find but. Oh, <laughs> silly things. Although I've I've still never got a decent picture of a well, I've got one okay picture of a brown hawker. You know, I've got they never sit still. You know, <laughs> I've got dainty damselfly. You know, the rarest <sighs> odonata in the country. I've got loads of lovely pictures of those <sighs> in one afternoon and brown hawker in twelve years of trying. <laughs> so, Ellie, what is the future plans for this data and report and the BDS? Ooh, well, obviously we're going to have to do another one at some point because dragonflies keep changing so quickly and their populations keep moving that um, we're having a bit of a <laughs> struggle to keep up with them. Um, so keep sending in your records if you're uh, into recording because they will be of great use in terms of kind of working out where they're going to head to next and kind of, yeah, keeping an eye on how their distributions are changing. And obviously because we've kind of got 
kind of analysing all this data, we've realised that some of the old legislation and policy, particularly this red list for Odonata in Great Britain, which I think was last done in... like 2008 is now very much out of date so it's something we definitely need to revisit i mean the dainty damselfly isn't even on there because it was extinct at the time of writing and obviously that kind of repopulated that was found again in 2010 I think. And then, for example, the Norfolk hawker, which is currently one of the only protected species in the UK, is actually doing all right. I mean, a lot of its habitat is still endangered because um, and threatened because it's kind of lowland grazing marshes in East Anglia. So that's all kind of threatened by kind of sea level rise. But I mean, it's showing up all over the shop now. There's some down in Dorset. Yeah, over in Cambridgeshire. So uh, they're, they're starting to spread. Pretty sure they've colonised Essex as well now. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I've had reports from <laughs> a lake in Chelmsford, two, three years running, Brilliant. and it's like the same yeah. spot. So nice. and I haven't gone to see them yet. And they've been seen two years running down near me, which is a bit weird. Well, is it kind of which way they come from? Yeah. Are, they, are they the are they the the British ones yeah. from Suffolk, yeah. or have they come from Cambridge or Kent? I mean, they're even in the London Wetland Centre now, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. That's just mad. <laughs> or I think we have to call them Green-eyed Hawker if they're. No. Oh no, Pam. Oh no, Pam would tell us oh, off. Oh no, don't get, don't. Yeah, don't bring that up. <laughs> well, I told her if they're being called Norfolk Hawker, I'm claiming Southern migrant as Essex Hawker. Oh, I think that's fair. I, I definitely yeah. think that's fair. <laughs> but Roy and Pam poo-pooed it, uh... so I sold. Some people might remember if they went to a Dragonfly conference. Do you remember my presentation with my lovely picture of an Essex hawker oh, with the really? stilettos and the and the Ruboy hat. <laughs> yeah, I have to find that and share that because I can't think where it's gone now. Oh no, maybe I can find, I might be able to find it on a BDS old hard drive somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully it's still in the system somewhere. That, that, that <laughs> needs sharing I think now. <laughs> or maybe redoing, maybe I've got better pictures of them now. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> One of those things, but you've answered the question of where dragonflies are, and now we need to kind of work out why they're there and kind of what we're going to do about it for the species that are not doing so great. So a lot of it's going to be, we need to kind of find out more about the declining species habitat preferences and what they need to complete their life cycle in terms of wetland habitat, organic and inorganic kind of features like water pH to amount of emerging vegetation and um, factors like that, particularly for the declining species. And then obviously kind of look into kind of habitat management techniques and kind of what's going to be most effective. For example, looking for common hawker and black data, kind of looking at peatland restoration and which techniques and um, rewetting techniques are kind of most successful at creating suitable viable breeding habitat for declining species but obviously we need to also identify kind of what the actual threats are and what are causing these these declines because if it is climate change then there's no point as trying to protect habitat down in kind of the south where it's going to warm the quickest and the fastest because obviously it's going to be a losing battle so we really need to kind of pick our battles take into consideration kind of climate change plan forward for its impacts on dragonfly populations and kind of plan around it so yeah lots to consider but we're putting together our new bdf strategy at the moment so this report's going to kind of play a vital role in putting together our kind of targets for the coming years and which species we prioritize um, particularly white face data there's already been quite a few reintroductions for, for that I mean I, I would love for them to be reintroduced down to Fursley again but it'd yeah. be utterly pointless because in 10-20 years they go extinct from climate change anyway wouldn't they even if they even if they took Plus hold they setting on fire which yeah <laughs> yeah that doesn't help really yeah. dragonflies I'll tell you what to be fair to the guys down at Fursley they've now got an 
army of volunteers that basically just go around yeah. talking to people, you know, nice community thing, and hopefully to just sort of smack anyone <laughs> that tries. <laughs> um, metaphorically speaking, of course. Although, quite frankly, I wouldn't blame it if they did otherwise. That yeah. brings a barbecue anywhere yeah. near the place. Tin, um, tinderbox. Oh. They have got like an amazing team down there and the wardens as well. Fantastic. It is a fantastic site still. I mean, they, they still hopefully they can do something well and not much they can do about the dog problem down there. Yeah. <laughs> still a great site to go see dragonflies though. Oh, it's still fantastic. It's, uh, hopefully they'll get the ballpark sorted again because that was... I used to love walking around yeah. those boardwalks. Still wonderful, still yeah. wonderful. It's not quite good for dragonflies when you can't get too near the water <laughs> in most places, but still lots of other cool stuff. The white-faced introduction at Drumborough Moss on the Solways still been going on during lockdown. Still been getting their buckets of bog water and eggs and sphagnum and lava from donor sites and kind of transporting them over and dumping them into translocation ponds. And I think they're getting some good results. They have been having some sightings of adults on the site, but it's a little bit too early to tell yet if it's going to be a success. But there's a potential there for the, I mean, there's quite a few kind of potential sites on the Solway. So if they could get a, a colony established on this one site, then hopefully they could get a good larger population going across the Solway and get some more bulls dug, maybe. That'd be exciting. There's quite a bit of peatland restoration going on as well, isn't there, around the place and not this rewilding mm. will be in linked in with that so if I think climate change doesn't completely smash them in and they hang on until <laughs> I think gets restored yeah. I think white-faced data might hang on I reckon and, and common hawker yeah, as well yeah. and, and hopefully and of course they're always forgotten azure hawker because <laughs> so localized people seem to forget about that poor little dude which is one of the two left on my oh, list we need to go visit our so Scotland staff yeah, definitely need to Pat Batty. That. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully next year. Hopefully next year. I keep saying that, but I'm gonna have to do it now. Yeah. You know, touch wood. Of all what's going on in the world, well, not... if there's any petrol, if there's any <laughs> petrol for me to get up there, <laughs> dear, I don't fancy getting a train to the middle of the Highlands. Oh, it's madness. <laughs> yeah, madness, madness, madness. Well, that seems like as good a place to end. But thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to get the update. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, always good to talk to a, another Dragonfly fan. Uh, I, th- I think I come under uh, that heading just, a bit. just slightly. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much. And uh, I'll see you all next time, everybody. Bye for Bye. now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.